0: Robert Reed is, how would you like to be introduced? Printer. Nothing like being a printer. printer. Honorable calling, don't you think?
1: Robert Reed is an iconic Canadian book designer, graphic designer, printer. Printer, thank you. Printer. <laughs> Welcome to the Bibliophile.
0: Well, I'm happy to uh, always talk about printing because it obviously is the basis for our whole civilization. So how did you get into it? I was 10 years old. Walked through the toy department of the Hudson's Bay Company in Vancouver, I saw a box sitting on a shelf with a printing press on the s- printed on the side of it, a little toy press. My parents got an uncle to give it to me for Christmas. I started printing, and I've been printing ever since. It just grabbed me. Printing? I don't know why, but who knows? How can you explain this? <laughs> the magic. Yeah. I had rubber type and, and, and so on from a firm in Chicago. The first printing I did was share certificates in the R.R. printing company to get my friends and my father's to buy shares so I could buy more type <laughs> for the printing press. <laughs> what did your father do? He was a wholesale tobacco and uh, candy company. He had a medicine hat where I was born, but uh, he wasn't well, so he sold it out to his cousin. Printing? And retired to Vancouver. I uh, used to print miniature newspapers on this press about the family with the headline, because I was interested in the typography of newspapers at the time the war was on, you see. The World early, War Two, Early 40s then. The papers, the Sun and Prawns, would come out with big headlines, you know, and so I would print up my own papers with big headlines and stuff. So I'd do that while I was going to school. Then my father died and left my some money to my sister, oldest, eldest sister, who bought me a printing press. A real printing press. Hand press? Yeah. And, and some type and stuff. We came into, we were living in Abbotsford at the time. We came to Vancouver and bought some type. And, so I printed on that a little bit. Then my mother moved into Vancouver and I started going to Kitsilano High School and I had a, the printing shop in my basement. I used to print business cards for the kids who delivered the News Herald in the morning. Eventually, I bought a real printing press, a, a real platinum press hand press i had was platen but you couldn't get the impression to press to type into the paper so so i uh bought this platen 8 by 12 westman and baker it's a canadian made press i understand uh, so i printed my first book on that in my basement the trailer mine's vindicated two pages at a time hand set it all because it was cheaper than paying to have it machine set of course it took me several years <laughs> to hand set a hundred pages of a book oh my yeah, work it was good. Who wrote that? That was a book by Alfred Waddington. It was about the gold rush on the Fraser River in 1858. There were some people going up there and weren't finding gold, so he said he wrote this book called Fraser Mines Vindicated to okay. demonstrate that there was gold there and that they should keep on looking. He became a per- important person politically in Victoria later. He was an Englishman, of course. And what attracted you to that text? Well, that was the first book printed in British Columbia. I was told about it by Kay Lamb, who was a librarian at UBC. While I was going to UBC in my second year, I was walking up the steps in the library to the reading room, and they had two, two cases under the steps on either side. I looked down, going up stairs, and I saw this gorgeous book sitting in this display case. Two pages opened out with a beautiful page of type with a gorgeous red initial. It was just made your mouth water. It was a beautiful so I said to myself, I am going to print a book. Well, it wasn't an idle boast because I actually had a printing shop in my basement. <laughs> I went to Stanley Reed, who was my English professor, said, I want to print a book. He's a wonderful man. And he sent me to Kay Lamb, the librarian, who was an historian and uh, later became Dominion archivist and librarian huh. in Ottawa. But uh, in the meantime, he said, Why don't you reprint the first book, Printing British There's, a, there's a very, very few copies known and it's out of print, and, and no copyright. Right. So there were no methods of copying things in those days. There were no Xerox or anything. So I had to go out with a typewriter, and I sat all summer and typed out the whole book on a typewriter. Right? I didn't know any better. What was right. I to do? And then I handset it from that. You see. In the meantime, Ann Smith, the reference librarian at UBC, had found out that I was going to print a book. So one day she came by, Howard Reed collection where I was busy typing out this thing and said, come over here, I want to show you something. And she had taken all the books of the library that pertaining to printing and books and piled them up on a table in the periodicals room across the hall from Dr. Lamb's office. But a sweetheart, it wasn't she? You see, this whole story of my life is other people and how they've been so wonderful, you know, single individuals who've taken interest. So I spent the summer typing up and, and reading these books. And, well, it enlarged my vision. I had no idea about printing. I knew nothing about printing.
1: Other than you had this desire to do it. Yeah.
0: And uh, so this opened to international printing, British and American books. So that brought me up a step typographically and aesthetically, you see.
1: Do you remember what the most important lesson you learned from reading those books
0: was? There was no lesson except that I found that there were other people in the world who were interested in fine printing, in typography and typefaces and paper and bindings and so on. Because people here in Vancouver used to say, what are, you, what, are you, what are you wasting your time doing that for? Through these books I found there were other people of like minds and I felt a camaraderie That it was all right to be interested in fine printing, (laughs) so you got a sense of that this is worthwhile. Yes, Vancouver was a desert printing-wise. Canada was a desert printing-wise because the printers were all just printers, you know. Earlier, I found out from a book I did on Lawrence Landy's collection of Canadiana that there were early printers in Canada who were wonderful, who were trying to carry. Printing in Canada at a world level of excellence. In Montreal, there was a one firm. Is it Lovell? Le- yeah, where I've reproduced some of their pages. But it all died out somehow or other, and printing sort of became just a trade. Yeah. The owners weren't the least bit interested in printing. Yeah. Let's put it that way. Whereas if you look at the presses in England and America that I saw on those tables uh, that Ann Smith had brought up that the owners loved printing, loved type, and were interested in what was going on in their printing shop. Would this have been post-William Morris? Yes.
1: You obviously were motivated or impressed with what they were doing, and you wanted to bring it to Canada? Was I no, wanted to an bring ambition?
0: it to Canada. I just wanted what I was doing to be on that level. Okay. You know?
1: So we have the Fraser Mines. Now, what was the run on that? Well, I printed 110
0: copies. I figured I would give away 10. Well, I sold uh, maybe 90 or something. Right. But 80% of them were sold to Americans. I sent it to the Western Book Show. I sent it down there to Los Angeles. And they were selected to be in the show. That way, it got known. Yeah. And somehow, people, Americans, kept buying it from me. So there's very few copies on the market, actually, because the most of them are in the States. I printed this thing, and Hansa while well, I was going to university. My marks weren't very good. So we drove down to San Francisco, anyway, for the fun of it, and they were wonderful to me. People invited me to visit them in their homes and show them their books. and These would be collectors? Yes, and yes. printers. Okay. They'd have a press, private press or something, too. They were just certain people I'd heard of. I joined the book club of California, and I was getting information about these people from them. So anyway, there's a wonderful collection of people. They were so hospitable, as Americans tend to be, they, to do, tell you the truth. Very generous. So I came back to Vancouver in the fall, and I had nothing to do. I had taken commerce at the university. My friends were all getting jobs with Procter & Gamble or something, <laughs> running around. Yeah. And i that was the last thing I was <laughs> going to do. So I took my press from my basement, and I bought another automatic platen, and started a printing shop downtown in Vancouver. I I rented the back of another printing shop for $25 a month <laughs> and set up my printing shop at the back of this other shop. I started architects and the art gallery and the community arts. The people with some taste came and got me to print things. Just print or design and print? Well, design and print, yeah. I yeah. mean, to print them, I had to design them. But I never charged for design or anything, Yeah, That was just a, something I did and doing a piece of printing, job printing. Part said. of the package. Yeah, thing, yeah. Know? One of the things that I did do when I set up, I had no printing to do, no or anything. So I offered to print a literary magazine for some university kids who wanted to start a literary magazine. I said, I'll print the first couple of issues for nothing for you to get you going. Because I have nothing to do anyway. Canadian literature? No, that was George Woodcock. Yes, it was. No, this was called PM Magazine. We got out two issues. That That would be collectible. Annette had uh, some fruit. Copies for sale were twenty eight hundred dollars or something for the set for three. I only printed two. That's very collectible. Yeah, that's something that people should. you should tell people about because we printed quite a few copies. You know,
1: that's the kind of thing that you could find that many people wouldn't realize they would not have. How, how valuable idea. they are.
0: Yeah. No. no. What was that? Like that was just like a, a, a it was journal a, magazine. It was a literary, look how little magazine you know in those yep. days. It had very serious stuff in it. Graduates of UBC. Yeah, who decided they wanted to start a literary magazine. <laughs> Good for them. Any names that we might remember or recall? Or... One is my wife, who was managing editor. At uh... she, I ended up marrying her. <laughs> Felicity. She's living in Spain. <laughs> No, what happened is that I started printing it after I came back from San Francisco. I started my printing job in the fall. I got one issue out. And then the next issue, I was printing it over over Christmas. And people started coming in like Lionel Thomas and his wife and Bert Binning and Jack Shadwell wanting me to print their Christmas cards for them. They'd do a lino cut or something, you see. So I started getting some paid jobs to do. So I stopped printing the magazine, you see, for a while. Paying comes first. Yeah, so uh, we got the second issue out. The money they got from the ads and the subscriptions, they were used to rent a house down in Pendistry, and they're having parties in the house and spending the money on parties. So when the third issue was ready to go, they didn't have any money, and I said, I'm not going to print another one for you, even spending all the money on your parties. and stuff. So they somehow went and got a commercial edition at a printer printed. It was terrible. And that's the third issue. That was it, the end of it. And were you proud of that? that? Listen, it's a darling little magazine. Nicely printed. It had things in it, like there was a special print that Burt Binning made. The silk screen that they got, and that's in it. And things. I mean, that that's worth itself, that Bert Binning silk screen. Beautiful thing. The Christmas issue that I did had a lot of sample Christmas cards by artists tipped in. It was no joke. It was a serious magazine.
1: That particular publication, the word must have gotten out.
0: Yeah. That, hey, look, this guy's serious and he's good. And people were subscribing to it and they were selling ads and stuff, which I printed in the magazine for them. So they never paid me anything for what I did. It didn't matter because I started getting commercial work to do through this. So uh, I started printing a lot of architects, for example. I did all their business cards and letterheads
1: so then when did you get into books then
0: well i had the idea because i printed one book already in my basement the first one you see that i'd have this printing shop and i'd have a press and i could print books too well i was busy doing commercial printing and i never until i moved out to burnaby to a house in the meantime my wife and i had had married and we had children and uh a commercial firm a large large printing plant printed labels bought me out and asked me to come out and run their letterpress department a very classy man morris Macbeth. his father used to be mayor of vancouver and so on. He he had some class and he wanted to have a letterpress department so what would you have produced with them? Well, he gave me carte blanche to buy type from any place in the world that I want. So I bought type from Italy because I was subscribing to a German-Swiss printers magazine. So you could bankroll your yeah. dream, And right? German. Yeah, I know. I bought all <laughs> the typefaces I dream of buying. Yeah. England. Oh. And so what were your favorite typefaces then? Well, one was Caslon by Cats from the Punches and made by William Caslon in in 1700, incredible. That was a type foundry in England that had bought up the Caslin Foundry. And uh, Bauer Bodoni from uh, Bauer in Germany, a beautiful, beautiful Bodoni face. Oh, and the Italian was Augustia, beautiful, beautiful. And taken right off a Roman monument. And so and so I had all these typefaces there. We even hired a salesman to go and sell print, letterpress printing. Well, I guess it would be upscale sort of things. Oh, yeah. oh like yeah. Vancouver School Board Annual Report, for example. And I used one of the Italian typefaces for the all the headings. That I had. Well, now, what years are we talking about now? This is like 53, say, to 56. And then Fred Amos asked me to give, teach it one day a week at the art school. In Vancouver? Yeah. Printing or something. They didn't have a printing shop or anything, but yeah. Well, I started teaching typography, and I, we bought a printing press, and we bought type, and so on. So, we had a real printing shop, and so the kids really started to learn real graphic art, you see, yep. that way. Uh, it was immensely successful. We were winning all the awards in Toronto in the uh, type directors club show, or whatever they had there. That set up in
1: 55, 56. Yeah. Do you recall some of the, the things that won the awards? Pretty well
0: everything we did. <laughs> Wow. Carl wrote a glowing piece in one of their reports. Uh, Carl Dare. Re- reproducing this stuff about the Vancouver Art School was setting the s- standards for the world and so on, on you know, graphic design. Wow. Something that we did that would be, again, very collectible to get the students some real printing to do, real work. Instead of just fantasy, real world stuff. I went to the, out to UBC and asked the editor of the Raven. If we could, my students could design the issue for them and get it produced, you see. So he was happy to experiment. So for about five years, we produced The Raven, you see. I printed the first issue of My Basement. Then uh, the next issues, I got Charlie Morris and Victoria, this wonderful printer friend, to print the rest. But the kids all designed the illustrations and they designed ads, and they, these were wonderful things graphically. And they're, they're kicking around. Don uh, Stewart over at McLeod's. He picks them up as much as often as he can, and they were a delight. It's full of energy, I yeah, imagine. And, yeah. and the kids who worked on them were just brilliant, brilliant, creative children. They weren't even graduates from high school. But now you couldn't get in on you were a high school graduate, you see. You had to go through that mill. That's why art, art, the whole art scene is a joke nowadays, because it's all uh, academically related. To the universities the universities when they get hold of something creative they kill it you see
1: okay so we we've got the raven
0: when do we get into the books i was living in burnaby and i had a my printing shop in, in burnaby so i started producing books there in my basement because i had a full-time job and i could afford to do a book Tech, ted Abbey was printing in my basement and because uh, he had learned printing from me and he was doing it for money and so we decided to produce this book, Gold, together, because he and my wife decided they would hand-bind it. Sky the leather and do all this stuff. So uh, they did, and uh, we produced that, and then I produced the Lee Journal, Journal of Norman Lee. woman was reading the manuscript over the radio, CBC, that we used to listen to the CBC. She had discovered the manuscript. It had never been published, this book. So we thought, we got hold of Eileen Laurie. We got hold of her and thought, well, maybe we could publish it. So she got the manuscript from his brother, who was still alive, that he had died. He was an Englishman, again, a remittance man type, you know those types, who'd come out with his wife and brought all their family's silver and stuff and crystal and were you living in a log house with it or something. <laughs> anyway, he ended up with a big ranch and a Mercedes-Benz that used to drive around on. But uh, he decided when there was a gold rush in the Yukon in the 1890s to drive live cattle up there so they'd have fresh meat. Well, he drove them up there, but by the time they got there, they were all dead. <laughs> Everything had died. So, he, But he kept a journal with drawings in it. So we reproduced it, and it's a delightful book. It's been reprinted a number of times as a trade book. And what was the run on that? Oh, 100 copies or something like that. I printed that on some English handmade paper I bought, Ainsford Ancient Laid. It was called beautiful, beautiful paper. So then we did a book of George Cuthan's Lionel cuts of animals. George Cuthan was a Czech artist here. I was his only friend in Vancouver because he was a graphic artist. Well, in Vancouver, he either did paintings, oil paintings, because that's the only art that people would buy or knew about or or, you know, that he called art. Right. Watercolors, right. no. Pastels, no. You see, paintings, oil paintings, and it's still that way today. And George was in a sophisticated, urbane graphic artist. He did his drawings were like paintings by oh, his drawings were just gorgeous. And he does does love making lineal cuts. What what would he do those for? Well, he just did them. But but I mean, how do you make a living? Well, he worked in a sawmill. All his life, until the day he died, virtually he lived in, a, worked in a sawmill. And the whole oh, Vancouver art scene—they dismissed him totally. They didn't call him, consider him an artist, with a sort of because snobby. he wasn't doing paintings. But that's your—that's your middle-class provincial backwater that yeah. Vancouver was, and it was run. The, the whole art scene was run by the Vancouver Art Gallery and the Vancouver School of Art. And if they didn't approve of you, you know. Anyway, I was—I had a printing press, and he made Lido cuts. Wonderful combination, don't you think? Yes. So I used them for illustrating for books I did for the university. I had a. What books for the university? I did a book called. Uh, they had everybody who in the world here who counted giving speeches for some reason at the university. They had prime ministers and kings mm-hmm. and queens, everybody there. So they wanted to do a book of the speeches, Proceedings of an Academic Symposium. Stanley Reed. Who was my English professor? Was on the editorial committee. They didn't have a press or anything. So and they he, Stanley got me to design all their books uh, that they any printing they produced. And who who printed it then? And then I got Charlie Morris of Victoria. Now Charlie Morris, I I mentioned his name so often because he was a printer who cared about printing. The only printer in Canada, as far as that I know of, who cared about printing. He cared about typefaces. He cared about ink and the impression on the paper, you know. He was a printer. So he had started a shop in Victoria. Every time I went over to visit friends, they'd tell me, oh, you should see Charlie Printer. He likes printing. So one day I went to visit him, and he had a little shop with his son there and his wife, and they had a linotype, an a type machine and a Thompson automatic platen press. That was it. Eventually, he bought another printing shop, a larger space with some mealy verticals. They were cylinder presses. So I said, ah, he can do printing for me now. So I gave him all these books from the university. The Victoria College, it was then at the time, started to get him to do printing. Uh, I got him to print George Woodcock's... Oh, Canadian Literature,
1: yes, and yes. I got Charlie
0: to print that, you see. There's a parallel with what the, uh, Rocky Steinar did, the Steinar Press. Yes, yeah, Steiner. Oh, yeah, you know Rocky, yeah, yeah. Well, I got him to print a book for me when I was at McGill. It's one of the most beautiful books I've ever done. In fact, it's almost the perfect piece of bookmaking. And what is the title? It's called uh, Thomas Willis, Psychopathy of the Brain, or something like that. Two volumes. One was reproducing Thomas Willis's Anatomy of the Brain and Nerves. That's 1600. Some of the illustrations for the book done by Willis did were done by a uh, fellow who designed St. Paul's Cathedral. Oh, Christopher Wren. Christopher Wren, yeah. He was a, a local guy at Oxford, and he did the drawings for the book. <laughs> <laughs> And anyway, uh, we published an English edition, and we reprinted that in the American Brewer Company in uh, in Connecticut. The second volume, was the introductory volume, was all letterpress, set by Steinauer in 16-point Bembo, And, uh, oh, it's beautiful. And I got the paper made in Spain for it and included in the watermark Thomas Willis's coat of arms. Uh-huh. And it's gorgeous. Everything is perfect about that book. And then I got it bound in montreal oh the illustrations for the book uh, photographs and stuff i had printed in holland and on johann anska <laughs> day in gravure yeah. and then i had it bound in montreal in in limp vellum it's unbelievable beautiful well it's it's around it's it's available we printed several thousand copies of that it's available on the internet great. but it's a perfect piece of bookmaking everything about it is Perfect, you know. Uh,
1: <laughs> so that's rocky for you. But in the meantime, Charlie oh,
0: yeah. was printing all these books. Tack designed books for Bill McConnell at the Klanek Press. Those are all very collectible. Tack designed them and had Charlie print them. Tack printed the first one in my basement. What was the first one? Do you remember? Maria, Maria Fiamengo, a poem by Maria Fia mango Anyway, uh, Charlie Morris became the only real letterpress printer the only printer in Canada that you could go to with a manuscript and Charlie would produce a book. He hired one of my ex-students who designed hundreds of books. Who was the student, Tim recall? Bev Leach. Thirty years there, designing all of Charlie's and Charlie was doing all these books and quarterly journals. All through Canada, because of the Canadian literature, he was doing quarterly journals. Within Morris's output, any books stick in your mind? Well, there was that academic symposium with the Lionel Cuts. The initials, their initials all in colors. just what well, you got to see. And when I was in Montreal, I got to print a book for Lawrence Landy on being a book collector. Personal thing was it? it. did it beautifully. See, I can't give you all this right now. I've got six volumes of memoir on all this stuff, but they're all in storage. But you can find them at McGill. They have a complete set. And Toronto. Are they for sale anywhere? No. 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 I just printed a very limited... and paid for them by selling the library sets. You see, Alberta, Edmonton has a set in Calgary, and SFU and... You know, all of this stuff is there in the okay. more, With all the names and the information and stuff.
1: Now, again, these would have been the books that you were involved with. Yeah. So what we're trying to do is cram seven books into about an hour here so we were dealing with Morris where do we go from there
0: well Morris carried on after I left I left in 62 on this Canada Council Fellowship you were working running the letterpress department of this
1: printing company. well
0: no I I, actually had to quit there because the owner didn't like me taking a day off to go and teach at the art school but he wouldn't give me a raise to cover the the money I was making you see that's why I was doing it, to get the extra money. So I had to quit. So I went full-time at the art school. Did and we had the printing shop, and we had the kids printing books and stuff. Dev Leach printed a book that's still to this day a treasure, reprinting all of Recyman's typographical rules about p- book printing. 62. So I was six years at the art
1: school. You went to McGill in 63.
0: Tell me then, through
1: that period, the Landy book was a landmark. Yeah anything else
0: stick out well the Notman books they have the collection of Notman archives at McCord and Russell Harper was director and he said let's do a book for the centennial 1967 so we got busy and produced this book they were all glass plates 250,000 glass plates at McCord and they're big glass plates and of course they're coated with egg white and stuff and they could capture the most incredible detail you could believe all the total variations from 100% down, you know. Well, there was no photographic paper you could use to make prints from those negatives. Mm-hmm. They were all negatives. Because they were all the papers so contrasty, it couldn't hold all the fine details. and things. So we had to make our printing plates from the negatives rather than positive prints, you see. So I found a German boy who'd come to Canada to make his fortune as a photograver and stuff. And he said, I can do that, you know. In the meantime, I had sent a set of glass plates to Johann Onskede in Holland to do samples, because all the Karsch books up until then were printed by Ongskede, because he in sheet-fed gravure, you see, which is good for photographs. So I sent them over and got back for samples. And uh, when I showed them to this German boy, I said, why can't we try doing them in double dot? That means you make two exposures, one for for middle tones, and one for highlights, uh, for the hi- uh, contrast. So you put the two together, and you got a beautiful... I'd heard about this being done in the States. You Nobody in Canada had done it yet. But why don't we try it? So he tried it. It didn't work. He couldn't do it. So we drove down one day to the American printer in New York that I knew of, who was doing it. And they told him how to do it. Again, American generosity, you know? Yeah. We came back, and he produced these absolutely... Subtle, brilliant double dot <laughs> <laughs> photographs. And then I bought some American matte paper to print it on, not coated. And the salesman for the printing company I was going to get it to, to do it said, Why don't we, instead of printing two blacks together, why don't we use a sepia and blacks? Mm-hmm. Wow, we did. And is the most. Museum of Modern Art says it's one of the five most beautifully printed photographic books ever. And it is beautiful. All the little, every little detail. You can't believe that this boy, the German boy, got off the negatives. What was his name? You call Klaus Unterberger. Yeah, he was the go-to. Made him, made him do that book another book for the federal government, the Salmon portfolio. that is famous that he did for me. Too. He photographed all the Landy illustrations because they had to do them from Landy's books. It was a wonderful, a working relationship. You're so dependent on other people you don't realize. You know. When I had a business, a printing shop, I would rather send a Christmas present or something to my suppliers than to my customers because suppliers were the most important people to me, you know. Yeah, They helped you perform for your clients. They are tremendously important. People like Klaus and Charlie Morris, Save Your Bacon. So anyway, when I went went to McGill, well, I had a lot of books produced in England, so they're very collectible because they're beautifully printed on beautiful paper.
1: And which ones would
0: those be? This one I particularly remember was uh, Shelley's poems uh, after death or something, and his sister or something, or daughter or something. I don't know. But I had them, and s- we printed on basingwork parchment, It's a British paper that I got Charlie to use to print George Woodcock's Canadian mm-hmm. literature yeah. John he brought yeah. tons of it over and printed, and the, his press from London was print- It was made from sparto grass from North Africa, yeah. and it's beautifully smooth. It accepts the ink like it was waiting for that ink, you know, and so the, the pressman loved it because they had very little make-ready to print on it, which is, put it on the press and print it. Mm-hmm. Canadian literature is very collectible, those yeah. first issues for that reason. And very distinctive typeface on the, the name. Right, the, right, yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. a German face. But you were involved in that, the design of, of that? Oh, yeah, I did yeah. it all. Okay. And I, but then I used to get George Kuther to do little tailpieces, or use old little linocuts that George was doing anyway we'd use them for tail pieces and then I got my students at the art school who were doing little wood engravings and stuff to, we'd print them in the empty spaces and so those issues are really uh, they're lovely yeah. beautiful that yeah. I got done uh, 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 Shelley poem. yes yeah. <laughs> I set it in English Monotype Garamond which has thousands of extra characters swash letters and things and I told the printer to use all of the swash letters they could find that fit in into the text. Where they were. So the whole book is full of all these swash letters. Okay. No, no one appreciates it but me. I'm the only person who appreciates it. But does but it affect the
1: legibility? The oh, readability? No. No. no, no. no. Okay. no. It's yes, just
0: yes. garbled Italic. So that was fun. That kind right. of thing I did. Yeah. We've talked about series,
1: like the Canadian literature series would be would be yeah. a fun yeah. one to go after. Yeah, it would be very yeah. much. The books that you had published uh, or printed in England while you were with the McGill University Press, so that would have been what sixty-three
0: to seventy. Yeah. Anything else? Yes, the BC Library Quarterly. I printed while I was in Vancouver until sixty-two when I left. Is I think totally collectible because I printed it personally in my basement, and any ads they had, I designed them and made something out of them, and I printed covers. with lino cuts by George Cuthan and and my students. So each cover is a treasure uh, of uh, graphic art, you know. How many of those were uh, produced? Quarterly from, say, 56 to 62, somewhere around there, about five or six years. Anyway, I ended up with this monstrous uh, project for the Federal Government Fisheries Department. On the high seas fishing of salmon by the Japanese and the Danes. They were fishing the salmon on the high seas so they couldn't get back and spawn. There was a law of the sea conference just been started, and the Canadian government wanted to make a presentation of the Law of the sea conference to get to vote against the fishing. A friend of mine who used to teach with me at the art school was on a plane going to Ottawa once, and this is sitting next to this Dave Denby, who was working for the Department of Fisheries, given the project of doing something to present at the, and told, Rudy about it, who was a graphic designer. He said, Well, you get a hold of my friend Bob Reed a Montreal. So David did. He was an artist, you see. And he came down to visit me and said, We want to produce a pamphlet to give away at the Law of the Sea Conference. And I said, Oh, fine. Uh, I'll think about it and come up with some ideas. We ended up producing a $300,000 portfolio <laughs> with reproductions of salmon from the Indians, Atlantic salmon. Pacific salmon. Dave had done drawings of all the Pacific salmon, for example. We we produced all this stuff. And we got Roger King Brown to write a book <laughs> that we put in the portfolio. We produced 2,000 copies, and 150 of them were... Oh, I got Bill Reed was in Montreal all the time. He's an old, old, old friend of mine. Sculptor? Bill Reed, uh, the Indian art, designer, yeah, yeah. artist. I said, can you do a salmon, Indian salmon, for us to inlay in the cover of the portfolios? He said, there's no Indian salmon. Uh, Indians never, they just ate them. They never, you considered them... Uh, worthy uh, of the worthy. art. Yeah. So he designed one anyway, because we needed <laughs> a salmon. And we had castings made in of this and inlaid them into the... But 150 copies were special ones, were for the heads of state, and those we did in silver. And inlaid. <laughs> and then we reproduced a bunch of Indian prints by Bill. Silk screen prints, they're beautiful things. And put in, you see. Those were the days to, yeah. to be working with the government. Well, listen, everything had to come from New York. It wasn't time to get leather from England. We used leather. We, used, we had Boulanger did the 150 quarter leather bindings in le- beautiful leather. Had to get it from New York, who stocked all this stuff, you see. And so I'd call the deputy minister and say, look, we need another 20000 because the, the, the stuff we want to use is going to cost that much more. Cause we get it he said, good, because he realized the more money we spent, the better, because the only thing that people pay attention to is how much money you spend, not how beautiful it is. Yes. But if the Canadian government was going to spend the kind of money it took to produce this luscious portfolio, they must be serious. Well, later, the Japanese... Newspaper, Minichi Shimbun, I got a copy of it in English, was lacerating the Japanese for only producing a cheap pamphlet. Yeah. Canadians <laughs> spent money like water. <laughs> At one out, we won the vote. <laughs> That's a great story. Yeah, it's a wonderful story. And a, and a wonderful Canadian story. Yeah, yeah. it is. It yeah. is. Anyway, we got <laughs> the Canadian ambassador had to carry this copy with a silver plaque and personally present it to the president or the head of state of whatever country, 150 countries. And then they had other copies for the uh, cabinet ministers. And they were giving copies out of the UN. Anyway, it's, it's a big collector's item now. It runs around 1500 to $2,000 for a, co- a copy of it. But it's the stuff in there is treasure.
1: Are you most proud of that book, or what book are you most proud of?
0: It's a Landy book, I think, yeah. and why? Well, just because of what we had to do to get it produced. You know, we had to set up our own printing shop, and I had to hire this Danish pressman from Vancouver to come and run it and do all this. And so it was a, a it was it a real labor of love. Yeah. You know. Landy kept encouraging me. You see. Yeah. Because I thought he was painful. Oh, well, that's right. Yes. And he <laughs> found out after it that he wasn't paying a penny. He was giving his collection to the university, you see, which was worth a lot. So. <laughs> yeah. uh, the book we did with George Coutin, National Library calls is the most beautifully illustrated book ever produced in Canada, of line of cuts of animals by George Coutin. This Danish press pressman printed them on my press in my basement. And we had to mix up all the colors, you see Matt's George and It's just a masterwork of the printing art, you know, I must say. But you've continued, uh, you've continued on. You've never tired of this. Well, no, because it's just such a challenge when you see a piece of blank paper to print something on. What about for the last 25 years, what have you been up to? After the Salmon portfolio, (laughs) moved to New York, a new girlfriend, rented a coach house, which was a dream Place. So you kept your finger in the printing and the,
1: obviously the design world. You've just shown me a beautiful book uh, called
0: Duffy's uh, Book yeah. but I don't want to jump to that. Yeah. I mean, is there, what's well, in between? Well, in between I produced commercial uh, trade books in New York. Book- Simon okay. and Schuster and Macmillan's and the publishers there. I was called a book packager. So I would have an idea for a book. And I do a dummy up, go and show them, and, and they say, okay, go ahead, produce it. So I had to hire writers, art, mm-hmm. uh, photographers, uh, whatever it needed to d- produce the book. Anything and, stand out among those? Well, I produced all these books on country inns. Mm-hmm. It was just new at the time. Lavish coffee and table. Yes, then, since then, I lived for 20 years off producing guidebooks made from this original idea for uh, Holt, Reinhardt, and Minsky. And you moved then eventually back to Vancouver and you've been doing some well, work. Well I retired these- and I was put out of business in the nineties by the internet. Because all of these places were getting their own websites and I needed to sell twenty five thousand print run, first print run to get enough volume to pay photographers and writers. And the publishers wanted to cut it down to fifteen. I couldn't do it. So I retired. <laughs> and now more recently you've been doing some work with the Alcoon Society well I came back to Vancouver uh, when when I retired because of the internet and all that stuff in 97 I came back and my sister had kept up with the Alcoon Society I went to their meetings and joined and and then I realized that they could use some books because they started they did to to produce books that was why they started early on hadn't done any so I thought why not start why don't we start doing some books? But instead of printing out 200 or 500 or something, just print 20, 30 mm-hmm. for the people who really want them because that way they don't have this, they'd be in the sales business, you know? The marketing is the hardest thing to do. So we did, we just produced Dorothy Burnett, a bookbinder, and then we did Duthie's, Duthie's, Duthies Bookmark. We did some, another one. Takoa Tanabi. But in the meantime, I'm doing my memoirs. I okay. printed five copies of my first volume of my memoirs. I showed it to friends. And they all wanted to buy a copy. I was going to say, I mean, this is just a taste of what's in those
1: memoirs. Yeah, yeah. You have to go to these libraries to, to, see, uh, them, to yeah. see them. Yeah. I guess it's
0: just not feasible to publish them. In a- the, no, the thing is that to produce them by uh, laser print yeah, and stuff. Yeah. Like the first volume I did was costing $200 to print it, and $100 to bind it. So I, I told friends, well, give me $300, and I'll make you a copy. You know, it's is, is that simple. So I ended up doing about 28 copies of that book for friends. And then I realized that, that the libraries would buy them, so yeah. I could get some money back. Okay. Then I was at McGill, and I found a whole lot of stuff I'd printed in Vancouver that I'd given to McGill, and I didn't realize that printing had done. So I had to do a, an addendum <laughs> okay, right. to reproduce all this stuff. So then the next volume we did in Montreal was two volumes. Well, I'm lusting after it. It's all there, you
1: know. Yeah. it's an incentive to go to these libraries. Well, yeah. Now, what, what are you working on
0: right now, just to, in, in closing? Well, I just did a book on Afghanistan. It's the first Afghan war of 1838 to forty-two that I tried to do in New York in, in 1980 when Russia invaded, invaded Afghanistan in seventy-nine or something. My son had been going to Afghanistan dealing drugs, it was a photographer he had wonderful photographs of Afghanistan. Yeah. I thought, well there's a good chance to use these photos and I did a dummy and I sent it around to my agent to publish it. They was where's Afghanistan? <laughs> Who gives that shit about Afghanistan? You see? Now look at I, it. Yeah, I know. So then I did another vo- another version of this same book using illustrations from the eighteen forty two issue of the London Illustrated News, wood engravings, illustrating the war in Afghanistan, you see? Which I got from the McGill Library because they had the originals. We don't learn from uh, from the past, though, no. do we? <laughs> no. Anyway, this then I got the text written by Leslie Wheeler. She's the granddaughter of Burton K. Wheeler, who wouldn't mean anything to you, but when I was a child, Burton K. Wheeler was one of the big senators with a big mouth from Montana. Burton K. Wheeler. You see, well, his granddaughter wrote this. brilliant. brilliant story. <laughs> She's a brilliant writer. And so I carried it around for 30 years. Excellent. And finally I decided I'll, I'll print it up. So I sent copies to Yale University Press and to British Migrant, which has a wonderful publishing. I'll, I'll, almost every one of their books I would buy. Mm. They're always of interest to people like us. So. Anyway, I haven't heard from them. It's been a month now. I haven't heard a word from either of them. Because I think it would be a wonderful little trade book. Especially for a University Press because it's sort of academic in the sense that it's not current. Today, you know, and yet it is. That's the last thing I got out. Well, that's great. Yeah. I, I, I thank you for covering the
1: peaks and. Yeah, it doesn't sound like there are too many valleys in your life. None. No, I've been. Through.